Lord willing, we'll finish this letter next week. Um, as we continue to look at what it, what it means to be a Christian community. Paul is uh, coming and he's uh, wrapping up this, this first letter to the Corinthians, right? He's been, I think, a few times he could have ended it already yet. And the Holy Spirit is prompting him to continue to write. And uh, we see it uh, here as well. You know, the last uh, verse 58 of chapter 15 was, I think, a befitting place to end, right? We can end on this verse. And then he goes into giving. And we come to verse 13 where he has these great words, you know, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that be done be done with love. It seems like another wonderful spot to say, okay, amen, right? Uh, but he continues on. And this morning he's, he's going to take some time and he wants to acknowledge a few people uh, in the church and to say, hey, here are those who have been uh, redeemed by the gospel, right? And they are devoting themselves to the activity of the gospel. And that's an encouragement, right? And so we want to look at these things uh, and see us as a church, see us as followers of Christ, see these things growing in us. Um, as we look at this passage, I was reminded this week, actually, I, I've been chewing, that's uh, Oklahoma for thinking about, I've been chewing on uh, some, some things this week, and I had the opportunity to be a chapel speaker for Stone Ridge earlier this week. It's just a video thing. You do a video uh, devotion for them. But, and um, I shared a passage out of, out of Matthew 24 when Jesus is talking about when he returns, about the good servant, or the faithful servant, I think is the word he uses, the faithful and the evil servant. And he is basically saying, right, that they're both call themselves servants in this parable and and, um, but one, Jesus gives the adjective to is faithful, and the other one he says is evil, and he goes in to explain it. And the faithful one is doing. When the Lord returns, he is found doing, right? He is found active. He is found following the commands of Scripture. He is, he is doing what the Lord has called him to do, right? And so we look at Scripture, and we say, well, what are we called to do, right? And we can go to the Ten Commandments. We could summarize it as Jesus said, love your your." Uh, the Lord God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, right? We can see the commands and, and purity and, and the love for the church. I mean, we can, we can add to that. This is what we should be doing. And the other servant in that, in that parable is just simply uh, being lazy, right? He is saying, ah, he's not coming back, and I'll hang out with the drunkards, right? And that's, that's what he says. Uh, and unfortunately, as, as that parable ends, Jesus says, he calls him a hypocrite and says his, his, he will be torn in two. And he'll be cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? So this parable has, should grab our attention quite quickly, right? So, well, there's Because I told the, the students, uh, you know, God doesn't send sin to hell, right? He sends sinners. Sin doesn't weep and gnash its teeth. People do. And in this context, Jesus is talking about those who are professing to be followers. And they're professing to be believers, Right? The professing Christianity for us would be Christians, those who are self-professing you know, self uh, Christianity. And the wake up and, and kind of by way of introduction to this community is, you know, Christianity is, is demonstrated. In the context, in the passage we're going to read here in just a moment, uh, Paul is not talking about salvation, the sense of someone coming and believing. Right? He's talking about Christians living out their faith in the context of a church, ministering to one another. And as I told the students, and I, I know I'm sure I've said this, just because we say we're Christian doesn't make us Christian, right? Because we go to church doesn't save us. 
Um, those things, you know, growing up in a Christian home doesn't save us. We have to know Christ. We have to believe on Christ. We have to come under his authority, his word. We have to cast our life, ask for forgiveness of our sins, acknowledge his lordship, and believe on him. Right? And Jesus tells us, here's the cost. Right? Let go of the world. Right? Take both hands. Grab that cross. Come die with me. That's the direction. And when we come to this passage, Paul is, is trying to encourage this church by saying, here is a brother. Right? Stephanus, who is the first fruits of this church. He is, as Paul's planted this church, here is one who has believed on Jesus Christ and he is doing the work. And Paul says this, right? Here is an example of what should be happening. You know, acknowledge such men, do these things. And as the church does that, we see, right? Paul's heart behind all of this is that others will be doing the same thing. The Christianity is not something we simply say. Christianity is something we do, right? It's who we are. It exudes from us in our attitudes, our actions, our decisions, not just on Sunday morning from 1045 to whenever I get done preaching, right? Or singing at the end here, rather. Um, it's not just for that. It's who we are, right? And the Lord's Day is simply for us to come, to give our worship, to praise Him, uh, and to be, to continue to grow. I had mentioned to our men in our study yesterday looking at James, they said, you know, as James looks at these trials and we're counting them all joy and we're growing in the faith, we have to realize that you know, God is true to his word. He fulfills his word. He fulfills all promises that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've professed Christ as your Savior, well, then you know that God is shaping you in Romans 8 into the image of his Son, right? That's what God is doing in your life, and he does that through trials. He does that through moments and difficulties where we count it joy because we know there's a sovereign God Who's at work? And so the follow-up question to that, to ask us, to help us assess our lives, is to simply say, you know, are you being closer? Are you, is your life being much more in shape with Christ? Are you moving that direction? It doesn't mean perfection. It means heading, right, sanctification in a direction. And that should be a wake-up call because Paul comes and he says, here, Corinthian church, right? Look at this man. Look at his household. Be, he's devoted to the ministry of the saints. He's living it out. He's not sitting on his gifts or his talents. He's put them to work. They're demonstrated. And Paul says, look at him. Because Paul knows, right? When we lift up others who are following after Christ, right? You and I get encouraged. You and I start to spur on and we start to move forward. And Paul's desire and hope is that this church would not be a church that simply says, yeah, we're Christian. It's a church that is being Christian. So this is his words. He says in uh, verse 15 of chapter 16, he says, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that he is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad of, about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. Let me offer a brief prayer. Father, once again we say thank you for this time, and we ask that your spirit would be at work teaching us and leading us into understanding Lord, the truths in your word. We ask, God, for insight by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you'd get me out of the way, that every soul here, uh, whether here or listening online, 
Lord, would receive what you have for us today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to this right closing part of the letter. And, and a few weeks back, uh, we had looked at verses 10 uh, through 12. And then we got into 13 through 15, or through 14. And we talked about the Christian character. We talked about the church uh, encouraging and not abusing Timothy, right? Paul's words of saying, hey, please send Timothy back to me, right? Uh, be kind to him. And then he goes into to verses 13 and 14 where he has uh, five imperative commands for the church, right? Be vigilant, I said, and be diligent and be motivated by love, right? Paul has, it's, it's like, a, those are wonderful verses again to say just simply amen, right? And close the letter, sign this thing and move it on, but he doesn't. It's as if Paul comes to this word that all that you do be done with love and it's almost as if the Holy Spirit goes, bing, light bulb, I urge you, and he goes into verse 15, I urge you, brethren. So there's something, and we've known this, we've been working through this letter about the Corinthians, right? There's, there's been the divisions in the beginning of this. You have other leaders. You have those that Paul has talked about where their minds have puffed up. I don't know if you've ever met someone whose mind is puffed up, right? You usually don't have to, to explain that. We kind of go, oh yeah, I've met that person, right? And so Paul says, look, there's some that have their minds pop. He's going to deal with them, right? You have those things going on within the church. Uh, he's even said, and I believe it's in chapter 14, where he talks about those who are ignorant. He says, the ignorant, let them be ignorant, right? And he's dealing with those who are probably creating problems within the context of the church, right? And so he's, he's dealing with all these things. And Paul's expectation through all of this is that they would deal with the issues, that they would not just simply say, yeah, we're Christian, but they would say, yeah, this is what Christianity is. We've got to work on these things, right? No longer can we have these groups in the church that say, you know what? I follow Paul. Uh, my guy's better than your guy. I follow Apollos, right? Well, we follow uh, Jesus. I mean, he kind of trumps you guys. He's better than all y'all. You know that all y'all means everyone. That's Oklahoma again. Uh, on a side note, I talked to my oldest son who's now living in, in Oklahoma, and he said, man, I, I kind of like that word y'all. And I was like, it's funny to hear you say it because he said, all right, y'all. And I was like, Something's happening to him, right? But anyway, um, but Paul has this, this drive, right? So just setting the context, the background, these things are happening. So when Paul comes to this, this end of this letter and he's saying, do everything, brothers and sisters, do everything in love, be motivated by love, biblical Christian love, right? That doesn't mean happy feel, or, uh, uh, happy feel goods, right? It doesn't mean uh, uh, unicorns and rainbows. It, it means saying hard things at times, right? It's, it's calling each other on our sin that we would grow closer after Christ. And so Paul realizes that, hey, there is some issues, there are some problems in the church. He is writing his letter with an expectation, but he also knows, right? Paul knows he needs some boots on the ground there, doesn't he? For them to say, hey, we're going to be Christian because there's some, some, some tough stuff they're going to have to work through. And there's some, and to their, to their credit, they've worked through a lot of it. As we go into the next letter, we'll see. But he needs boots on the ground. He needs people there. This is the, hey, Timothy is coming. He's, he's already appealed to Apollos, right? Well, Apollos, you need to come back. And he's unwilling to come. But at some point he will, right? He's been telling them that. He needs people there who will, who will be the example, who will be the leaders. And he's found some of them in the household of Stephanus, right? The first fruits. His household is devoted to the ministry of the saints. How great is this? 
So we come to this, right? We come to this passage, and Paul is saying, look, I want you to follow after. I want you to acknowledge such as this. And as I looked at this passage, there's four things I thought as a church, as a community of of Christians, right, who say, I don't want to just say I'm a Christian, who are being Christian. What are some things we can grab out of this text? And the first thing uh, that I want us to realize, and this, it's in your notes, and I'm sure all of you are going, yeah, this is a no-brainer. Right? The Christian community is to be centered on the gospel. Right? And this goes with my introduction. We can't just simply say we're Christian and not say anything about Jesus. Right? The Holy Spirit's activity throughout the Bible is to shine a light on Christ and to shine a light on Scripture. And if those things aren't uh, being taught, you have to begin to scratch your head and say, well, what's going on in the church? Right? We want to call ourselves Christian. We want to lift high the cross of Christ. So naturally, right, a church, a community, a Christian community assembling together is founded on the gospel. Paul says, I urge you, brethren, this is verse 15, you know the household of Stephanus, that he is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Here is, as Paul came to Corinth and planted a church, he bumps elbows with Stephanus. Right at some point, we can make a mini series here, right? But he comes and he leads this man to Christ. Right, the whole foundation of all of this, the acknowledgement of Stephanus is not because Stephanus is a good guy at golf and he golfs really well. Hey, acknowledge Stephanus is a good golfer. No, he has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. There is something that Stephanus understands about the holiness of God, that no sin can be in his presence, and that there is a problem in man. Right? The law has revealed our sinfulness and uh, therefore a problem. As Paul begins, I'm sure, to explain the gospel as he has preached to them Christ and him crucified, right? Chapter 1 and going into chapter 2 as he's been going through all of this, right? He's been telling this and Stephanus is one who said, yes, it is Christ and only Christ who can save. Right? He has believed the gospel. So he says, right, this is the foundation. Here's a brother who is, who is a founding member, if you will. Right? He probably has a plaque on the door. No, he doesn't. Right? It's in his name. But he's a founding member of this church. And he says, I urge you, the rest of the congregation, I urge you. I earnestly plead with you, all brothers and sisters. Right? There's his language at the beginning here. That you should be like, right, to some extent, uh, Stephanus. This is where he's going. He's not saying it yet, but this is where he's going. You know, which is interesting, the household of Stephanus. Paul doesn't tell us, right, doesn't explain all that he's doing other than the fact that he's devoted himself to the ministry of the saints. And Paul seems to think that all he has to say to the Corinthians is, you know him. You know them. You know what he's doing, right? Christianity in his life is being demonstrated. Stephanus is not one who's simply saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I live any way I want, he is one who is saying, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm giving my life to the service of the saints, the ministry of the saints. Stephanus has a big impact on his household, doesn't he? Whether Paul was a part of that, you know, we're not sure, but um, we see his household, to what extent, who are coming, who are serving, who are active. So Paul isn't simply saying, hey, this is, this is Stephanus, right? He's good at croquet, maybe not golf. I don't know when they play, what they played back there with clubs, but uh, he's a believer in Christ. And so in your notes, I simply say there is a gospel response to, to Christianity, isn't there? He says he's the first fruits of Achaia. 
his household, right? There's converts. There's, it's interesting that Paul in chapter 1, verse 16, of the few, when Paul's dealing with the divisions, he says, of the few that he baptized, it is Stephanus and his household. Verse 16 of chapter 1, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Right? And he made a point of that to say, I'm glad I didn't baptize any more of you because it would create divisions because you had the group there that says, we follow Paul because he's cool, right? So he's saying, this is, this is not it. I'm not about that, but I have baptized this. I know who they are, and so do you. They are active. They are demonstrating their faith. The household of Stephanus is what we would say today, the real deal, right? He is not perfect. I don't think Paul alludes to any of that. I think he's dealing squarely with sin. He has believed the gospel. He's been obedient to being baptized and following after baptism. He's gone through those things. He's active in gospel proclamation, and he's demonstrating the context of this church Christian love. This is what we know, right? Paul uses these words, ministry of the saints. This has to be attached to it. So we see that in, in this church, as he looks upon uh, the, the church to come and he's, he's acknowledging others as he needs boots on the ground, those who are living the life and the church to acknowledge as such because his heart is that as they acknowledge them, they will become like them. That's his desire. There has to be a gospel response. There also has to be, and I put this in your notes, gospel action, right? So it's not easy believism that is popular today in churches, right? Well, you just say, I prayed a prayer once and it was all good. No, there has to be a direction of your life. There has to be, right? If God is true to his word, he is shaping you to the image of his son. Are you growing in your sanctification? If that's not happening, the problem isn't on God's side, right? It's on our side. Maybe we're not so sure. Maybe we don't know him. Can we be deceived? Yes. As I told the the Stone Ridge Chapel students, you know, this is a message for pastors and your teachers and your parents and students, we can deceive ourselves. We can think we're saved. In reality, we are not because Jesus is clearly saying, right, in that parable, both call themselves servants, but only one, right? One uh, group is faithful. So there has to be gospel action. Paul is not talking about salvation here, that we earn it. He's speaking to, to Christians who are already believers of Christ, following after Christ, but there is an action. Now, I want you to note here that this man is not seminary trained, right? He hasn't gone to Bible college, Stephanus. He's just simply believed. He's been obedient. He is learning. And in the process of learning, what is he doing? He's ministering to the saints. So if you have that thought in your head, as they one day, if I know just a little bit more, then I'll start, I'll start I'll start serving, I'll start going, I'll start teaching. I think you need to take note here. I think it's very important for us simply to to find those within the context of the church who have the shepherding heart, those who have a pastoral heart, those who simply love the gospel and desire for others to get closer to Christ. Paul says, look upon these. You know him. You know his household. You know that he's not about himself. He's devoted to Christ. I love this story about uh, Campbell Morgan's ministry. It was said that at one point in his life, he was offered many opportunities to, to go and preach and many opportunities to go and be a pastor at different locations. And one such moment was when John Wenemaker, uh, the great merchant of Philadelphia, offered to build Morgan a million-dollar church building if he would come and be its pastor. 
Today, that would be multiple millions, I'm sure, right? Uh, Morgan turned him down. Something that is, went on to say is that Winnemaker never wasn't accustomed to. And usually wealthy people don't get turned down. Morgan turned him down. He simply said his response was, I am God's man. And if I took that position, I would be Winnemaker's man. See, in this, in this life, we have to be devoted to the gospel. The gospel grows out of, uh, or is more important, our, our de- uh, dependence, right, to Christ, our devotion to Christ. It supersedes who I am. You know, in today's uh, wonderful example, some of you may know and be familiar with Pastor James Coates, who's a pastor in Canada. And Canada has severe lockdown restrictions, and in where he is a pastor, uh, he is... Uh, been asked not to assemble. And there is one person there who has basically unilateral authority in which to close churches. And the person is against what looks like Christianity. But feeling a conviction, he, he stood in and he said, no, we're going to preach, we're going to assemble, we're going to preach the word of God because uh, we believe that uh, in this context, you know, the scripture gives us authority to do that. And he taught through Romans 13. And I was watching the Founders Ministry podcast as they were interviewing uh, Pastor Coates, who's now in prison. They asked him to turn himself in, and currently waiting a trial. He's in prison right now. They interviewed his wife, and out of the interview, it was striking to hear her say, you know, the, the, there's a follow-up pastor, I don't know if he was on staff or what, who preached, right? This is, this is the Sunday following the Sunday of him being arrested, and someone that last Sunday had, had went to the pulpit, and she simply said, we don't know if he'll be asked to turn himself in too. And I thought, man, that's, it's crazy, because that's a stone throw away from what's happening in America. But what so was, was the heart of, of right, when you, when you get around someone who's devoted, and they go, this is Christ, and we're not going to, to waver here. We have conviction. Without hesitation, Dr. Tom Askell simply responded to uh, his, uh, his wife and said, if, there needs, if you need someone to fill the pulpit this Sunday, I will be there. And then Jared Longstreet, another doctor, right, these guys that are super intelligent men, and without hesitation follows them and said, yeah, we'll create a line, let us know. And I thought for a moment I would go and preach there, right? I'll put my name on that list. But it's not about being prideful or being think we're going to do this. It's about what is important, what drives us, what makes a Christian community is the gospel. And when people are sold out to the gospel, it is evident in their lives. Paul is not putting Stephanus above them because, hey, he looks good or he's tall or he's handsome or whatever else. The man is sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ. His household is serving, right, the saints. They are doing ministry. As if Paul saying, man, I wish you guys would calm down. No, they're going to do this. And Paul's saying, look at these. Look at what Christ has done. Look what he's doing in them. Does that mean they're perfect? No, right? But there is a direction of their lives. The Christian community is to be shaped and look like this. This is their character. So as Paul goes on from here in verse 16, I simply as he unfolds this, right? There's the foundation, is the gospel. And in verse 16, I simply say the Christian community is characterized by cooperation. He says that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. See, it's not about us. That's always been Paul's, Paul's 
and he's beat that drum throughout this letter. It's about Christ and him crucified as well, what Christ has done. So Paul says, if you've come across, you have those in your congregation, those who are ministering to the saints, he says, submit to them. Now, Paul's desire through all of this is not that some would, would be uh, uh, doing it and others would be passive. He wants all to be active in their faith, right? The goal is to submit to those, to grow in their faith, to grow in their understanding and get going and doing the same thing. There's Paul's heart. So he says, submit, come under, yield to them in love, right? Remember verse, uh, verse 14, everything be done in love. Submit to those who are teaching, those who are trying. Listen to what they say. This is... I've been Paul's uh, desire throughout. We see it throughout the churches in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. He says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Can you imagine that kind of conversation? That should be happening, right? Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks Always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is our word submitting to one another in the fear of God. Paul's desire is that the church would cooperate. We would realize what this is about. It's not about making a name for ourselves or being promoted above others. It's about Christ shining in us. We cooperate because Christ still saves lives. He still changes lives. He still is the answer, right? In Paul's day, the answer to Paul's sin problem was Jesus. In our day, the answer to our sin problem is Jesus, right? It is the gospel. And for Paul, submission means, right, activity. It means ministry. This is clear when he says, and everyone who works and labors with us. Right? Submitting means doing, serving, cooperating with the gospel, challenging our brothers and sisters, praying for one another, right? coming over to their home, calling on them, man, I didn't see you in church today. Where have you been? Right? Loving each other. There's the cooperation we see in the gospel. Paul is expanding the idea that this household of Stephanus' household, they devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, and now he simply adds to submit as such and to everyone who labors with us. Well, Paul's acknowledging others in the congregation. He's just not giving us their names. Right? Paul's heart, his desires that the church would come together, they would be cooperating in the gospel. And it's quite simple, I think. Right? This is not another heavy revy. I don't think anyone's written, written this down this morning and saying this is brand new stuff. But the follow-up question to that is, why are we not? As a church in America, church today, church here, why are we not? Why do we struggle here then? I believe it has to do something with our attitudes. Usually when we hear the word submit, right? Uh, it's usually it doesn't have a, um, a good definition attached to it or a good experience maybe attached to it. We don't necessarily like the word submit because it goes against our flesh. It goes against our pride. It goes against our self-righteousness, though we wouldn't say those words, but we feel it. So Paul is sitting at an element. For our church to cooperate, there must be humility, right? There must be an acknowledgement and understanding that the same Jesus who died on Calvary that you need is the same Jesus who died on Calvary that I need. It doesn't matter your background, the color of your skin, your economic status. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that we have Jesus. 
And I need him just as much as you do. You know, coming to humility, there's a book written by John Dixon called Humilitas. And he has this quote, as he, he, his running definition for humility. And I thought it was really good. He says, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. And he goes on and says, more simply, you could say that the humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power in service of others. So here we see this heartbeat of Paul, right? Cooperating, working together. We have to realize that you can't be looking at each other, but we must be looking at the cross. And because of the cross, right? Shoulder to shoulder, we label forward. And we move forward. We focus on the gospel. We focus on gospel outreach. We strengthen and encourage one another. We call each other on our sin. I believe this, and I, and I think this is uh, behind Paul's drive here, is this idea of, of, of a community. That's why I use the Christian community as opposed to church, but uh, both would, of course, work. Um, but there is a one another sense here. Paul has a desire that you would be thinking of others or one another. You would be cooperating and coming together. That you would see those who are laboring in this, in this way or laboring in a ministry or are working in this way. And you would say, you know what, there's, there's something about them. I'm going to cooperate with them. I'm going to help them because the end is important. The gospel proclamation is vital if we want to see those who are going to be saved. And I think it's interesting, in, in the church you have almost two extremes kind of people, right? And we see that in, in Corinth. You have those who seem to be power hungry, right? Those who want to be with great rhetorical skill, want to be acknowledged above others. And there's always that group, right? That's just life. And on the other side of it, the other extreme are those who just want to be quiet. I don't want anyone to mess with me. I, want, I like my comfort zone, right? It's a good fun zone. Please don't knock me out of my fun zone. I want to stay there. And we see these kind of these two extremes, but as we come to the gospel, as we cooperate together, when the gospel becomes, right, the centerpiece of your life, then there's not a problem for those who desire recognition to humble themselves, to realize it's, that's about the gospel, it's about Christ. It's not about me. There's always a drive for the quiet, right? The quiet people kind of say, you know what, I need to get out of my comfort zone. The Lord is calling me into deeper waters. Lord is shaping me into the image of his son. The Lord always has his people. You know, an example of this is I was doing my devotion this week. I was, I've been going through just the, the latter days, the last week of Jesus and his passion week and on the cross, uh, looking at how the religious leaders were responding and just meditating upon it, upon the, uh, the disciples and what they were doing upon the moment of the cross where Jesus is being ridiculed and mocked. Right, and you see the God, this is the gospel. And you're thinking of everything he's going through, and you have this thought of going, Man, it's my sin. It's my sin. And yet he's on that cross, still not sinning, is he? People are mocking him. But as he dies, there's this one person we know nothing about, but he's integral to the gospel. Uh, understanding Jesus' body, right? Dealing with Jesus' body and taking it to a tomb is Joseph of Arimathea. And out of nowhere seems to be this man. All we know about him is he's rich, right? He's from Arimathea, and he is a disciple of Christ. And it says this in Matthew 27, 57 through 60. It says, now when evening had come, Jesus is on the cross. He has died. There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Jesus. 
And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate commanded that the body be given to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb, which he had hewn out of a rock and rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. I mean, this is all we know of him, but he's integral, isn't he, to the gospel account. There has to be a rolling away of the stone. There has to be a security of the, of the body of Jesus. There has to be a secular testimony with the guards at the tomb who say, no, there was an angel. An angel rolled the stone away, right? And even then the religious leaders don't believe him. But you have this man who is coming out of nowhere and he's simply stepping up and taking his part in the gospel. Let me think about it. There is immense opposition. Think about this moment in history. The religious leaders have mocked him, crucified him. His disciples have abandoned him, forsaking him. And yet here's this man, and we know little about, who shows up with great courage and boldness. I love this quote from J.C. Ryle. Speaking of this, he says, At a time when the apostles had forsaken our Lord, at a time when it was a dangerous thing to confess regarding for him, At a time when there seemed to be no earthly advantage to be gained by confessing his discipleship. At such a time as this, Joseph comes boldly forward. And he begs the body of Jesus and lays it in his own tomb. See, it doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter your position in life. It matters the gospel. What matters is our cooperation. At certain times in life, we may be the one called upon to do bold things. There has to be a working together. There has to be a focus of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church has to cooperate here. And Paul knows this. So we see that our church is centered on the gospel. It's characterized by cooperation in verses 17 through 18. I simply say the Christian community is characterized by corroboration. It says, I am, I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. For what was lacking on your part, they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. So Paul is telling the church, no, you don't just have to submit. You need to support one another in the ministry labors. And it's interesting here, now we see two other names listed, Right? And we don't know anything about these because this is it. This is all we know is they're attached to the household of Stephanus. But there is Fortunatus, right, which means blessed or lucky or Achaicus. Simply means the one from the province of Achaia, right? That's pretty unique. Parents didn't go too far on that one. If you have a child born in Merced, you might want to take this to note, young parents. Miss Merceticus could be a possibility, Right? But what's interesting here is, is there's, we don't know really anything. Some scholars believe these, both these men could have been previous slaves, could have been right the, the marginalized of the community, and yet we see the power of the gospel at work. This is what's so profound about the working of Jesus. It doesn't matter, right? You go to, the, you go to Calvary and there's a thief looking upon Christ, watching him die. He himself is dying on a cross. He says, this man is innocent. I'm, I'm receiving what I deserve. And yet in that moment, he says, remember me in Christ. I, I tell you this day, you'll be with me in paradise. 
See, there is, there is no sin. There's no brokenness. No, no labels in which the world may put upon people when they come and they believe on Christ. And this is, I believe, a profound lesson for us. It doesn't matter our, our social and economic backgrounds. It doesn't matter the, the ethnic. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter any of those things. We don't get to pick and choose who comes and believes on Christ. We, we share Jesus with all who will come and hear, right? We speak of Jesus, but it's our responsibility to love those. Come and believe. Because this same Jesus that they are those, right, the marginalized need is the same Jesus I need. And this is a challenge for us. I mean, think of Paul's testimony. I love when he says in Galatians 1, 23 and 24, he says, And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. Imagine hearing this, right? You, you heard only, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Now here's a question for us. What if a, a, a Paul type, right, was to attend Faith Community Bible Church? What would be our response to that? I'm not so sure about this guy, right? Well, I don't know. We'll have to see. I think that's fair. But we could go on with the question and say, what about those who don't look like us, talk like us, walk like us, who know us, who don't have all the understanding of Christianity, yet they come and believe on Christ? Right? A response should be, and of course, Paul says, is motivated. Everything is done with love. John speaks to this in 1 John 3, 16 through 19. He says, by this, Right, This demonstration of Christianity says, By this we know love, because he, speaking of Christ, laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has his world's, this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the faith, or excuse me, are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. See, John assumes it doesn't matter the background, regardless of the background or the differences, a Christian, right, is compelled because of the gospel to cooperate in the gospel, to corroborate with the gospel, to support those who are doing ministry. They have a desire to see it go forward. When this happens, right, the Christ is glorified, the gospel is preached, it is lived out. There is a refreshment of the saints. We are encouraged in one another. We hear testimonies, right, of what God is doing, what he's doing in our lives. I love, one of the things I love, and, and this is, uh, uh, this Sunday as any other, I love to hear voices when we sing. I'll just be honest with you on that. I've, I'm pretty sure I've said that before, but I love to hear you sing. I love on Sunday mornings to assemble together with you all and to lift our voices and worship the King with you. I am encouraged whether I've had a long week or a hard week or a difficult week. When I come and I know the stories of many of you, and I know the background and some of the struggles, I know the past testimonies, and when I hear your voice, it refreshes me. I am reminded every Sunday that God is at work. He's not absent. Even though I know this, I see it in the lives of his children. There is a cooperation in the gospel. You are here not because you think, well, this is what I just do on Sunday. Hopefully that's not you. But you're here because Christ has changed your life. 
You believe in what he has done. You believe in what he is doing. And when that happens, when a church comes together around the gospel of Jesus Christ, others are refreshed. See, it's not just one direction, and that's what Paul is saying. They came, and they supplied what was lacking. It refreshes me and refreshes you. Jesus tells us it's better to give than to receive, right? And that's the the heartbeat of it, but we know both ends are blessed. When we assemble together in the name of Jesus, we lift our voices. We worship, and some of us at times with tears, and some of us with uncertainty, some of us about what's going to happen next week, things that are going to take place, but yet we are here, and we say this. This is who I am. This is who Christ is. I'm going to cooperate, right, and corroborate with my church. I want to see ministry happen. This is what it means to be a Christian community. A Christian church. Encourage one another. And my last point here, the last part of verse 18, 18b, I just simply say the Christian community is characterized by appreciation. Paul's conclusion here, again, another opportunity to end the letter, but Lord willing, we'll do that next week. It says, therefore, acknowledge such men. He ends here with an imperative verb, right? It's a command. Find those. Laboring in the kingdom. Acknowledge them. Spur them on. Encourage them. Here, I think, is also the, the idea that once Paul has to, I would imagine, be thinking that, as we do this, it encourages us. As we look at our heroes throughout the faith, our heroes, I mean, you listen to podcasts, other pastors, other teachers, as we look upon them, right, we see and we're, we're blessed. We recognize them. We're encouraged by them. The Corinthians had this, a completely different standard, a worldly standard, most likely, right? There was status was important. Uh, rhetorical skills were important. Wisdom, wealth, right, etc. was attached to that. But Paul here is simply saying, those who are cooperating, those who are corroborating, those who are ministering, those who are obedient to, to Jesus Christ, those who would follow through in the ordinances, these, these who are opening the word and teaching the word, these who are using their gifts, all such who labor in the ministry, that's his heartbeat. He says these are the ones. He doesn't say whether they have a certain status in the world or a certain, certain title or certain, some type of prestige. He simply says the ones that you know, you know the household of Stephanas. You know them. They're demonstrating Christianity. They're living it out. You know who they are. He says, appreciate them. You can almost hear Paul's pastoral heart here. Right? He needs boots on the ground. He needs people there who are going to be living for Christ. He needs, right, Apollos to come. He needs Timothy to get there. But while, uh, while they're in route, at some point, Apollos will come. Right? He's acknowledging the first fruits of this church. Those who have been faithful from the very beginning. And see, Stephanus becomes the right example, doesn't he? He's the right example. He's believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's devoted himself, though he probably is not ministry trained. He has probably loads of conversations with Paul. He's devoted himself to the ministry of the saints. He's influencer, right? He's influenced his household. Others in his household are doing the same thing. He's cooperating with the gospel with others to see it grow, see the church strengthened. He's cooperating with others in the gospel. He's helping Paul, ministering to him, taking the the resources to Paul. He is to be acknowledged as Paul's response. He is to be appreciated. This is what it means to be a Christian community. We can't simply say, 
well, we're Christian. Right? Christianity is demonstrated. Our lives must be centered on the gospel. We must have the right characterizations. There must be a cooperation to see the gospel go forward, to see our brothers and sisters strengthened, to see those in need supported, and simply acknowledge those who are laboring in this way. I believe when we do that, right, the church is strengthened. The church is encouraged. When we come, we assemble. We are encouraging one another, pushing each other forward. And I believe Christ ultimately is glorified. Let's pray together. Father, we are very grateful and thankful that you've given to your church ministers. You've given servants. You've given all all the gifts necessary. You've given uh, Sunday school teachers and life group leaders. You've given to your church those who who work towards evangelism and discipleship. Lord, you give to your church those who devote themselves to the ministry of the saints. And Father, this morning we just want to say thank you for blessing your church. We are refreshed and encouraged by those who use their gifts in the service of the kingdom, service of you. Lord, we are strengthened. We are reminded. We are challenged. And Lord, oftentimes we feel the conviction. We're also inspired for those who serve and those who give and those who support and those who are laboring in this way. Lord, it is right of the Holy Spirit to, to encourage the Corinthian church through this letter of Paul that Lord, they, would, they would do these basic things and as they do that there would be an encouragement, a reminder of the gospel, Christ and Him crucified. It is the heartbeat and foundation. It is the cornerstone. So Lord, I pray for us this morning, Faith Community Bible Church, that we would have a heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would in completeness surrender to Christ, that we would say our lives were not here for us, we are here for something greater, something more important, to see lives come into the kingdom, to see lives changed and challenged. Lord, that is our desire. Let it be our desire. Often our sin, Father, clouds that. Often our own way becomes more important. Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us. Lord, remind us this day to have eyes fixed upon you, to run this race, to cast off the sins, to be an encouragement, to see the gospel lived out. Let us not be a church that is only in word, but in deed. God, let us be active in demonstrating Christianity. Let us be faithful and good servants. Let us be found doing, Lord, when the day comes when you return. Lord, lead us that way. Lead your church that way. Lead it, Lord, for your glory. And we thank you. Lord, and as I like to close here in a moment of prayer, I do want to pray again for all those who are feeling sick. We ask your hand upon them. We ask for healing. And Lord, for our brother up in Canada who is in prison now for preaching the gospel and assembling the congregation together, we ask God that you would be there, that you would minister to him, to his wife and children, that you would encourage them and strengthen them. 
Lord, we pray, Lord, for a quick resolve to this. And I pray that your church, Lord, through this would be awakened. That we would realize there is an eternity at stake. And the answer is, and it has always been, Jesus Christ. Lord, let us, Lord, as Faith Community Bible Church, have that heartbeat, that conviction. Let us be a church that is true to your word. Let us never waver there. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in the powerful, mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing here in a moment uh, the hymn, I Surrender All. I encourage you to, to sing it.